Hi, everyone. I have Brad Torgerson here, uh, colloquially known as Chief, uh, given, given his rank. Uh, we're going to talk about my favorite, I shouldn't say favorite because I sound insane, but my perennial uh, topic that I like to keep coming back to over and over again, and that is the Russia-Ukraine situation. So just quickly, just a, a bit of a, a sit rep on what's going on in the situation. So it is March 10th, 2022. Right now, uh, Russian elements are on the outskirts of Kiev. And they've also, they're kind of coming from three different axes, one from Sumy, uh, another from the, you know, down the, along the, the um, eastern bank of the Dnieper and then the western bank of the Dnieper. Um, they're probably you know, likely forming casualty collection points on the western side of Kiev. And I expect them over the next few days to, uh, you know, attempt to fully encircle the city as well as cut off the you know, main supply routes into the city to prevent the Ukrainian army from getting resupply with javelins, et cetera. The U.S. military in the last uh, week or so has been able to get in another 17,000 javelins so that they can, the Ukrainians can use that to good effect. And they, they have been. There's been plenty of video that have been showing, um, you know, Russian tanks uh, nose to butt, bunching up, uh, doing things that no one on, in the U.S. military would ever dream of doing because it would be death. And it's been death for the, <laughs> the Russians thus far. So that's that's kind of in the South. Envoy um, operations. Yeah. Yeah. In the South, um, the, where the ground is, you know, the, the, the climate's a little bit drier. So the Russians have, as a result of that, have been having a little bit more success. Uh, thus far, they've seized two nuclear reactors, uh, Chernobyl. They've cut off Chernobyl from the, the grid. Uh, the One of the nuclear experts in Ukraine thinks that the um, reactor there has about three weeks before it starts overheating and potentially having a radiological incident. Uh, they've also seized a uh, another another nuclear power plant in the south. I don't could not possibly pronounce the city begins with a Z, um, which again is that cryptic uh, letter that uh, in the Roman in the Ro Roman alphabet that uh, you know is painted or or spray painted onto multiple tanks and armored personnel carriers. But the Russians have been having a lot more success in the south, but the Ukrainians are still. Fighting. They're also. Um, it appears that Putin has moved from Plan A, which was a bloodless or anticipated bloodless campaign, where he would kind of draw the mass of Ukrainian combat power to the south and the east, and kind of you know suck them into fighting Russian incursions there, and then having a the main effort attacking from the um, you know from the north, you know, on the west and east of the Dnieper River, so he could avoid, at least for the most part, a river crossing operation. There's also VDV uh, paratroopers who seize one of the, you know, main airports there so they could, um, you know, use that as a staging point for 
uh, you know, more of an aerial assault, helicopters, et cetera. That is obviously failed because um, contrary to Putin's initial anticipation, the Ukrainians have fought back and are inflicting enormous casualties on the Russians. And the Russians have in, you know, I, I thought they were 10 feet tall. I was trained to believe they were 10 feet tall, but apparently I fight better than the Russians fight like themselves. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been kind of interesting. They're 10 feet tall. Now they're bugs and they can be crushed pretty, pretty, pretty easily. (laughs) Um, So with that, that's a, that's about as detailed a situation as I can come up with. Well, the other thing I did say is I think Putin is going from plan A, which is what I just described to plan B, which is the Russian way of war, right? which is what we saw in Grozny um, and involves crater is shelling, cratering cities using uh, the Iskander ballistic missiles to fire things in using BM 21 grad rockets, all that uh, wonderful stuff, you know, then completely rubbling the cities and then, and then moving in. I think he's shifted that strategy and he's also in the South, given that they've had a little bit more success there, he's likely going to try to advance them North as quickly as they can to provide a, a backstop in the, in Southern, um, in Southern Kiev. So that's a long meandering introduction. But uh, what's next, Brad? <laughs> um, boy, you know, um, I've been having a lot of conversations with different people. Uh, for, first and foremost, I want to state that I, it is, uh, I don't trust a great deal of what I see on social media that is claimed to be, you know, legit. This is my back channel source. Um, or, you know, there's various accusations of, well, that's pro-Ukrainian propaganda. Well, that's pro-Russian propaganda. For all I know, it could be all propaganda. Yeah, it's Um, all propaganda. You know, there's, it may be years before there is a proper accounting for everything that's actually happening. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who have a vested interest in shaping narratives about how this is all going. I mean, if I, if I just speak, uh, for my own personal opinion, um, I, again, I think Russia has no business being there. I think Putin has no business being there. I think Putin's instincts are terrible. I think his intentions are terrible. Now, having said that, I get it that uh, it's, it's complicated. Th- th- this part of the world, I mean, Russia has tried and has wanted to absorb its neighbors. And, and th- this is an old game that goes back even before the Cold War. Uh, I think this is just the latest iteration. Um, I, uh, I I don't want to make predictions about what I think is going to happen because I, I don't trust the information I'm getting. I really don't. Um, I, I've, I've seen some people saying, yeah, the Russians are just, you know, the overwhelming masters of this thing and they're crushing resistance right and left and they're kicking butt. And of course, they're amazing. And then, of course, I see uh, completely opposite claims and evidence, uh, you know, rabbit ears around evidence saying, you know, the Russians are inept, their training is bad, their equipment's worse, their supply lines are completely overstretched and falling apart. It's a complete mess. Now, my gut says that that's actually probably not too off, uh, too off from the truth, just because um, if you've been around a minute or two 
uh, in the world of military logistics, I, I came out of a sustainment brigade um, into my present job I'm doing now. And I was exposed to the world of logistics planning. I'm not a logistics guy, but I was exposed to the world of logistics planning and uh, everything through that sustainment brigade. And even for a first rate, and I do believe the US military does it better than most, even for a first rate operation, logistics is wickedly hard. And, and we have all the money we could burn on logistics. The Russians don't. They, they are a very poor country to be doing what they're doing. And that tells me that their logistics suck, their supplies suck. Um, I very much doubt that the training that the Russian military gets in 2022 is anywhere close to what it was in, say, 1960 mm -hmm. or 1970. So I'm, I'm very much questioning how long they can keep doing this before all of this catches up with them in a very bad way for them. Um, I think Ukraine is, is in a perfect position to to burn them out in the long term, if if even if the city falls, even if the leadership is either you know they flee, they you know they decamp to some other country, and there's a leadership in exile, or if they're captured, even, I mean, I almost want to say that would be like like history loves martyrs, right? So if the Ukrainian leadership is captured, and especially if they're captured and killed, well, then you have martyrs, and martyrs live forever and inspire uh, the resistance that you know that just grinds this you know the russians up you know over months and maybe even years again i i don't think and the, this this is just me talking i don't think the russians have what it takes to do this in the long run and i, mm -hmm. I agree with you uh, completely that i think putin has been shocked uh by the, the the length of time this has taken and continues to take and i think every week that it stretches out the tougher it's going to get for his officers uh, to try to keep this thing going and to manage it. I also think the morale of his people is going to deteriorate severely. Um, that's, that's my suspicion. I could be completely wrong. I'll definitely put that caveat on there. I'm, I'm just kind of talking from my suspicions and, and I am a bit of a, a dime store historian where the cold war is concerned. And I, I, I look at what they have now to work with versus what they had say in like 1982 and they're nowhere even close, in my opinion, right. to what they had then in terms of manpower, training, money. Um, it's a shoestring army. Uh, I, I don't, I don't trust the ability of a, a shoestring army to overwhelmingly crush an opponent, especially like Ukraine, where I think historically they are. There are people who are used to being occupied, and they, they know how to do this. I think as a as a culture, they know how to do this. They know how to win the long game. And I, I, I suspect that's what this may turn into is a, a really ugly occupation that goes on for months or years and eventually it falls apart. Um, maybe that's just my wishful thinking because I'm I, I guess if I have to pick a side, I, I pick Ukraine just because I don't think countries should get invaded by other countries. I, I don't believe that there's a valid reason for Putin to be doing what he's doing. And I don't believe there's a valid reason for the Russians to be there. And I frankly, I feel bad for all the Russians that are getting hurt and killed in this thing, because many of them, it's not their decision, it's their government's decision. And uh, I really feel bad for a lot of the Ukrainian civilians who are getting hurt and killed and, and displaced because of this, because it's, you know, for 30 years, they've enjoyed relative 
freedom in comparison to the Soviet area. And, and here we are, and it's like freaking the invasion of Czechoslovakia all over again. Woohoo! Um, well, then, Brad, you'll be very upset to hear that it's now okay on Facebook and Instagram to advocate for the killing of Russians. <laughs> Yeah, you believe that? Like you either you either Community say standards. it's okay. Right. Yeah, you either say it's okay for everybody or you, like you don't <laughs> you don't yeah. pick a specific group and say Community well standards. you can't say right. it's okay to kill the Irish. I'm Irish by the way, so I can say that. Sure, sure. That's not okay, but it's okay to say like, you know, murder Russians. Totally right. okay. Right. We'll allow that. We'll allow that today. It's just like <laughs> I, it is so there's the domestic political angle. And I don't want to get yeah. too much into it. Sure. And I don't want to focus on either party, but the thing that, and look, we saw this also in the, in the, in the first, in the second, not second, but the Iraq war, right. Which was remember freedom fries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now, now, now they're banning Russian dressing, which is not really <laughs> Russian. Uh, and Netflix delayed Anna Karenina. I saw that. Yeah. Right. Um, Oprah took out war and peace from her book club. It's just like stupid. It's stupid. Guys, this yeah. is one guy. This is yeah. one guy imposing his will. It's not yeah. an entire group of people. Correct. And yeah. like, but it's just like social media has enabled the, you know, to easily like, uh, what's, what's the word for it? Radicalize a population. Yes. Right. Yes. Like these I are agree. like Russians are people too. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. they're just like a lot of these conscripts are following orders and they don't, yeah. you know, yeah, so, it's not, it's not, it's really not their war. They're just told to be there. They're told to do it. I mean, I, I, I would bet money that the great majority of the Russians that are in Ukraine right now don't want to be there, aren't particularly interested in taking back, you know, the wheat fields and getting back the breadbasket. They're just there because they're told to be there. And you're right. There's there's a, a large a conscript component to that military. That's another reason I suspect they're not up to the task of doing this long term, um, because you, you just don't get uh, you don't get the quality of discipline and motivation that you would necessarily with an all volunteer force. Now, maybe that's just me being a bit of a homer for our setup that we've enjoyed for the past few decades because it is an all volunteer force. And I've debated this in a friendly fashion with other people who say, well, we need a draft again. And sometimes I think, well, yeah, you know, it would be great from one standpoint only because more people in our culture would have the military experience and, mm. and the world war two generation had kind of a, I don't know, it was an overlapping it was an overlapping experience and an overlapping culture that bound us together in a way that we don't have now. But at the same time, when you got a whole bunch of people in the military don't want to be there and are hating the experience. I mean, it's hard enough with the current volunteers. Like how do you keep a, a 22 year old who joined because he didn't have any other options? And I hate to say it, but you know, we all know that this is true. There's there's a great many people that join because they think they don't have any other options and they don't necessarily want to be in, but they are. I mean, that, and that's us. So over in Russia, it's an even worse situation. So I don't doubt that they don't want to be there. Many of them, maybe even most of them don't want to be there. They don't want to fight. They don't want to die. They don't want to kill people. I, I, I don't buy into this. Oh, the Russians are horrible through and through. I do think Putin is a Again, I think he has terrible instincts and I think he has terrible motives. But like you said, he's one guy. He's one person. He doesn't represent the whole of Russia forever and ever. Um, and it's silly and strange seeing, yeah, we're, we're going to, you know, 
<laughs> we're going to get rid of freaking uh, books or movies, or we're going to, we're going to pull a freaking Disney film because it's, it's, it's based on a historical Russian uh, royalty. I just, uh, all of that American reaction is so weird to me because it doesn't do any good and it doesn't change anything. Putin doesn't give a crap if anybody does this stuff, you know, I mean, well, and here, here's the irony too. Let's take the Tolstoy example, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. like Putin is actually the exception to kind of the Tolstoy classic story, which is that Tolstoy was like, was an author who, or writer who didn't believe in the great man kind of thesis, mm-hmm. right? Which is like that the Napoleons of the world are the ones who drive the forces of history. What right. he believed is that yep. there was that the underlying, like the people and the culture force and propel that leader into the future, right? So, you know, if, if that Tolstoy kind of theme is applied to the situation, like Putin is screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because I mean, Russia is being pulled to the West, and he's yeah. pulling it back into right. that Eurasian kind of concept of yeah. He what has, Russia is right. He has staked out. You know, we're Russians. We are. We are Eastern. Um, we are not Western Europe at all. Um, screw Western Europe. No, we're Russians through and through. Um, you know, he's. Uh, he, he's made it plain that he considers any kind of NATO, anything bad for him and bad for his country. And he doesn't like NATO and he doesn't want NATO uh, sucking in any of uh, the States adjacent to Russia. And he's going to, I mean, uh, and to be fair, he's not wrong. Right? right. No, no. This, if if you're in his shoes, this makes perfect sense. If, yeah. I mean, this, this is, this is the part of it that I, I think a great many, I don't even want to call them analysts because I don't know how much analysis is really happening. Um, a great many American domestic commentators, they, they don't sit and look at it from his standpoint. And you, in my opinion, you have to do that. This is, this is why I worry about the state department because I don't, I'm not convinced the state department is doing this much at all. It's much more comfortable for them to say, he's a crazy madman and Oh, he's nuts. Well, I'm sure the CIA is doing it though, right? The I, DIA I and CIA so. are doing it. I, I, yeah. You got to hope, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, you do got to hope. Uh, but I mean, if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't want NATO on my doorstep either. Um, but then again, we, we could probably spend the whole hour talking about, well, what's the point of having NATO since 1992? Is there a point in having a NATO since 1992? Well, that, that gets to the Purnell kind of iron law of bureaucracy. Yes, right? yes, right. Once you build an institution, it gets taken over by the apparatchiks and it becomes a, a huge thing that you'll never get rid of. Yeah, yeah, the, point, I mean, the, yeah the point of the organization becomes is the organization. The organization. Right. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, Jerry was dead on with that. And I think it's very true with NATO. I think you're right. Well, I mean, and and you know, at the risk of anger. Well, not, not anymore, right? Like it was true until Putin crossed the border and now, well, yeah, suddenly now it's absolutely right. essential. Right? Sure. Well, well, and that's the irony too is, and I, I do think the, the former president was right to call this out. If you are a member of a defense organization, but you're not going to put your money where your mouth is, you're worthless in that organization. And it is 
clear, and it's been clear for a long time, that the United States is NATO. The rest of NATO, except maybe Great Britain, I'll give I'll give an exception to Great Britain, and that's not just because I've worked with them in the task force, but I, I do think Great Britain and us are carrying the load. I mean, Germany can't even loft a single squadron of their typhoons. They, they've let their capability completely atrophy. Um, it's nothing like it was in, say, you know, 1960, after they had reconstituted the Luftwaffe and they'd reconstituted uh, the army because they were all expecting, you know, a Soviet invasion any day now. Mm-hmm. That that's all gone. And how can you be a, a you know a strong member of NATO if you have to go? Okay, come on, United States, come rec- you know rescue us again. Yeah, we're not actually going to loft any fighters. We don't really have a military to throw at this thing. But you, you go ahead and do it. Go ahead and take care of that for us. And that's yeah, at the too- same time, we only had one combat brigade in Europe before we sure. repositioned some of this. Sure. Right. So we couldn't even back it up if right, we wanted right. to. Yeah, yeah. The reforger plans got wadded up and thrown away. I mean, I, I was able to take part in a thing called Anaconda back in Poland uh, uh, six years ago, which was interesting because I think it was uh, it wasn't really reforger, but there were bits and pieces of reforger in it in that it was clearly aimed at being an exercise that would put Putin on notice that, okay, we're in your backyard and we're operating with the Poles hand in hand. And that means Poland is off limits. You cannot touch Poland. I mean, that was the explicit, explicit purpose of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, you talked about predictions right at the beginning. I, who knows? Um, I'm, I'm probably the, the joke on science fiction writers. And I, I can't remember which writer said this, but it's a it's a quote that I've always thought is interesting that science fiction writers we're actually pretty lousy at predicting the future. Um, we're great at imagining possible futures, but we're actually pretty sucky at about predicting the future. So yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I I I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at it a month out. <laughs> a month out. I'm serious. Check, sure. check out check sure. out the. Um, there's an episode I recorded with with Sean McFate, who oh, huh. is yeah. a, the guy who wrote New Rules for War. Mm-hmm. And we predicted all of this a month ago. Oh, okay. Good Actually, more than a month ago. Sure. Uh, January 26th. So, sure. Um, but I, it's a little harder now that kind of the, the die has been cast. But I think, I think there's three scenarios. The first is uh, Putin continues to, you know, goes Russian, right? Starts rubbling cities. Mm-hmm. And I think he surrounds and gets Kiev to capitulate by, I had this date in my head, April 8th. Okay. So about okay. a month from now. Yeah. About a month. Okay. Which is, and I've always said the thing would take between three and six weeks. Sure. Sure. Okay. That's, that's one option. And that's if we kind of don't give him an off ramp. We don't try right. to figure that out. He has no honorable way to remove. Right, he's he's trapped. Yeah, like like right now, I'm not even sure that the that the the Russian army could defend Russia. No, they could. could, I mean, that's the irony. I've thought of that myself. I'm like, you know, if 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 the assets were there and Poland wanted to cross over and 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 get funky, they could, and Russia couldn't do anything about it because all of their assets, well, probably better than 70% are committed to Ukraine and they can't reposition that stuff overnight. Again, that would be hard enough for us to do. And, and we've yeah. got, we've got the capability that's probably at least 
one or two orders of magnitude better than theirs. So yeah, I mean, it's it's if anybody ever wanted to conquer Russia, this would be the time to do it because they're so committed to this. Um, and you're right, Putin doesn't have an off ramp. Now, granted, Putin probably doesn't want an off ramp. I, I think Putin believes in Putin, and Putin believes in what he's doing. There's no doubt in my mind that he he himself thinks this is the, what they need to be doing, and he's whole hog for it. But the, the, the international politics uh, are are causing uh, yeah there's no avenues of escape right not really yeah so so in this particular scenario if he does that he's going to be in a decade long um, guerrilla war sure uh, yeah insurgency in, in Ukraine yeah yeah it's, it's so that's that's right. one option sure the second option is uh, a Finlandization. Oh right, yeah. Ukraine, yeah, right. And that's that's if you know he continues to grind down the Ukrainians, and eventually decides to settle on something to the effect of Ukraine becomes neutral. Right. They can't join NATO. Sure. And I think that's all he's going to get. I don't think he's going to get Luhansk. I don't think he's going to get Donetsk. He might even use. He may even lose Crimea. Mm -hmm, Right. In terms of and that's the position I would take if I were the Ukrainians. Sure. Right. Um, And then you have to pay us back for everything you destroyed. So I think that one is I don't know. I would put the first one at 50 Mm percent. I would put this one at 40 percent. Okay. All right. Okay. then there's there's option three or scenario three, which is at 10 percent. And that's a coup. Doubtful. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's 10 percent. Right. But people forget Putin's popular in Russia, not with everybody, but he's popular. And, you know, uh, his his network will will protect him. He's very well networked. He he knows how to do this. He's he was KGB. He set this all up. He's been. Yeah. No, there will be no coup. I all this talk from our politicians. Yeah. I think it was Lindsey Graham who said, yeah, someone needs to go in and, and take his head off or some brave soul needs to go. That's never going to happen. They're not going to do it. There's no way. The the only scenario I can think of that happening is Putin's going to have to blame this on somebody. Yes. Yes, he will. Right. And the most the most likely candidate for that is Shoigu. Not sure how I know that is. He's the he's the defense minister. So Uh, Shoigu. Ah, okay. Yeah, Shoigu doesn't have like he never served in the military Mm -hmm. until now. Okay. Right. Like he was like a civil engineer. He um, he helped build the military to, to where it is with recruitment mm-hmm. and things like that. But mm-hmm. he really is not. He, you know, he, he was also he was actually involved in the Crimean invasion and it was successful okay. invasion. Okay. Right. So I, I, I think if he doesn't realize he's Putin, he's going to be a target of Putin now. He should. Right. And, sure. and I think the sooner he realizes that he's more, he's more likely to act. Yeah. Um, yeah. You could be right. Sure. Now, again, it's 10% and it's out. It's also, it's not as good as the commentators would have you believe. And here's why it's not good. The last thing you want to do for, for lack of a, you know, despite what you see in this particular instance of Russia's exertion of power, right? For the past 20 years, every time Putin's been involved in something, it's been an astonishing success. And I'm not saying that because I'm a 
Putin file uh, and, you know, you know, whatever, whatever certain elements of domestic politics would would say. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying he is a better strategist than our politicians are. Oh, I think like he uh, runs, yeah. runs circles around. Uh, okay? You know, I think at this time in history, it must be said that the United States has elected and, and uh, our leadership is terrible. Right. I'll put put, put words in your mouth, Brad. (laughs) We have the most incompetent politicians in history who have access to the most lethal military in history. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And it's it's boggling that we've arrived at this point. Um, uh, You know, the vice president had her much lampooned uh, little uh, Sesame Street explanation of what the war was about. Uh, That was embarrassing. Um, It's embarrassing to see. Uh, again, the analysis, big rabbit ears around analysis that's happening. It, it makes me deeply question. Um, uh, one of my friends described it as it's a bunch of West Wing LARPers. You know, they all yeah, watched West yeah. Wing in their, in their teens and 20s. And, and here we are 20 years later, and they're all playing pretend with our national uh, instruments and our national policy. And I, I, can't, I can't say I take any of it seriously. If I was Putin, I wouldn't. I think well, let me let me let me give you a real world example. So okay, again, sure. I keep I keep referring back to Sean McFate, but he's the, mm-hmm. he's the only one I've interviewed thus far who who routinely ends up on like Fox News and sure. and CNN and stuff like sure. that. Sure. But what I saw in this past week, so I had I had an episode, I recorded an episode with him, and I asked him a bunch of questions about um, particularly on the the Ukrainian International Legion, right? And, you know, I asked about all the, the implications that you would naturally ask about, like, what if one of these Americans gets captured? Like, there'll be a propaganda tool. This, So we had this whole discussion. And then literally a week later, Fox News starts asking the same questions. CBS starts asking. It's almost as if, like, these guys do a search on Sean McVeigh. And they're <laughs> like, oh, he was on this this podcast on spies talking about x y and z we should ask this question it's almost like they're crowdsourcing like stuff that should be common sense sure stuff they should be thinking about you know etc etc so anyway what was i saying i was saying that the the situation like a a putin coup is not a great thing and the reason is is you have more instability inside a nuclear armed country yes um so as much as people really are acting as if they want that, they do not want that. Well, it's a bit like, um, so there's no question that Saddam Hussein was, again, a, a, a leader with terrible instincts and terrible intentions. Decapitating his government and then grabbing him and killing him created a vacuum that basically led to ISIS, you know, ISIL, yep. Daesh however you want to pronounce it, you know, there's many names for the, the caliphate as they tried to call themselves, you know, that, that could only happen in the vacuum that was created by the, the removal and the destruction of the Ba'athist government. Um, I think with Russia, like you said, you, you have a nuclear power. Do you really want a nuclear power being run by uh, a, 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 a bunch of factions who are all warring with each other for control in the absence of the dominant gang lord who is Putin. You got to ask yourself, is the, is the cure worse than the disease? You know, um, Putin at least will go to a summit meeting 
with somebody, right? If if he's gone and it's a it's a bunch of it's it's a bunch it, it, and it becomes like a freaking mafia family war where you know the the Don is dead and all the all the capos are warring with each other, you know, and they've got nuclear weapons. I mean, none of them are going to come to the table with the West. You know, they might yeah. be launching on each other. They might. I mean, it's things could get a lot worse than they are now if uh, if that power structure is 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 gone. And I don't know that anybody's thinking about that because again, we're getting we're getting analysis. See my big rabbit ears analysis. You know, that to me is not. It's like no, I, I think you're not looking at this as a grown up. You're really not. Not from like a, a standpoint of like world politics, and it does require a great deal of cynicism. And calculating, you have to you have to put yourself in the shoes of the person you don't like, and I think that's mm-hmm. something our current analysts analysts are terrible at. I think it's been proven that they're terrible at putting themselves in the shoes of people they don't like and thinking like those people. And you have to do that. And I don't know that our current leadership is doing any of that. I don't. What would you do if you were the U.S. president right now? Oof, uh, I'll, I'll look, I'll, I'll tell you my answer as soon as you tell me yours. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like throw that out there and not, and not you know, ask you the same question I wouldn't ask myself. So if I were the U.S. president, I would be putting as many small arms, munitions, fuel, like you said, we, we're, we're putting javelins, you know, I would just feed that train all day, every day, put as many arms as possible into the hands of as many Ukrainians and whoever else is fighting with the Ukrainians as possible and just keep that going. Um, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that the so-called sanctions are, are going to have the effect that's desired because I think, you know, China and other avenues for sale of oil or other things, you know, I, again, I don't think that hurts Putin the way the White House likes to talk like it's going to hurt Putin. But I think if you really want to help Ukraine, you you give them weapons. You give them weapons. You give them munitions. You give them fuel. You give them all this stuff. Um, but you have to do that carefully in order to try to keep the nuclear option off the table. And that's very te- I, that's always been very difficult, right? Since Since the very first Russian atomic bomb was detonated we've had this problem where they've got the bomb and so do we. And how do you have a proxy war with somebody without it turning into a full war that envelops Europe and envelops us? You know, the Russian missiles can still reach the United States. Our missiles can reach there. Uh, You know, and then what does China do? Who knows what China does? You know, maybe China just kicks back and watches that whole thing touch off. And then they just kind of laugh because now they're the lone world power that remains because we've, we've, we've done the unthinkable and we've, nuked new york and nuked dc and nuked moscow and nuked freaking yeah i you know how, how you do that needs to be handled very very carefully what's your answer i'm gonna scare you okay so right now putin is the weakest he's ever been yeah yeah he's and, jeopardized right and i think we are in a um sudetenland moment oh like if if we could have weakened hitler in 1938, mm-hmm. um, we probably could have saved a lot more lives. Sure, right. Now, I'm not advocating what many you know Americans who have you have like C's in history um, and have very strong opinions that we need to go to war with Russia. Um, I, I think there's there's a um, 
a strategic way to do it. And, and here, here's what I would do. I would start arming and training the poles. Um, Which we've already been and, doing. Yeah, or the or the or, or the Romanians, but yes, I would right. I would be training them in insurgent tactics. Sure, sure. I'd have special forces on the Polish side of the border, Romanian side of the border, and have them slip through, um, and you know either join the French or the foreign whatever. But they would operate in discrete units mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to harass and destroy Russian equipment. Right. Okay? Right. The second thing I would do is I would establish a mobility corridor for refugees to leave. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. And I would do that by sending in an American unit to a, to Western Ukraine. And I would say to Putin very, very, very plainly, if we see any Russian aircraft anywhere near this thing within a certain, like a very, very clearly defined uh, airspace, we will shoot you down. And then, you know, the Russians being the Russians, right, either wanting to test us or just general, you know, undisciplined, mm-hmm. we'll wander into that airspace and we'll shoot something down. Right. And the moment we shoot something down, then we take out as many of those convoys as we can because, hey, you, you tried to attack us. We're, we're going we're gonna to end this thing as soon as possible. Right. We're limiting this to a Ukraine. We don't intend to limit the, you know, we don't intend to expand this anywhere else, but, you know, happy to come to the table as soon as possible. But if you don't come to the table soon, we're going to keep destroying. It'll give us just enough time to absolutely annihilate the combat power that he has uh, to at least buy the Ukrainians some amount of time. But again, we can't, we can't do it unless he flies over that airspace. Right. But, but the, but the 82nd airborne, or I would probably have an R like a heavier unit in there because, um, you know, for obvious reasons, but the stated purpose would be to help protect the refugees coming out. And as long as he doesn't violate that airspace, we have to maintain that, that neutrality, but it also is enough to say, okay, you, you squirrely son of a bitch. You think you can come into a country like that? We can too. And there's nothing you can sure, do about it. Sure. And there isn't anything he could do about it. You're right. Right. Um, and, then, and then people don't understand, like he's a rational actor. And that's that kind of. No, escalates. no, he's a madman. He's a madman. No, he's the- <laughs> he's he's much more rational than our than our morons. Um, <laughs> sorry, I mean they they, they are They're like I sure. mean you saw you saw what happened in Afghanistan. That was not a military failure. No, that was a political failure, Absolutely. and that was because some dipshit said, "Well, you can only have twenty five hundred troops." Yeah. We're like, well, if we only have twenty five hundred troops, we can't defend the largest air base. In Afghanistan, which is Bagram, yeah, right. So we have to have this narrow, tiny little thing in Kabul that is nearly impossible to defend. But it was just because some bureaucrat was like, "We cannot have. We must have." It's just like, yeah, the bog, no tactical sense, right? Right, yeah, the bog, yeah, that that arbitrary number. And I mean, I so this is a bit of a non sequitur. Here's my question about Afghanistan: Will there ever be a flipple for the eighty-nine million, no billion dollars of equipment? Munition and cash. There was raw cash on pallets sitting there. Now, for those who don't know what a flipple is, so if you're a company commander and you leave so much as a laser printer or a Humvee, and and oh, we just didn't come back with it, sir. Oh, you are in big freaking trouble, and you will yeah. you will get raked. 
trying to justify that loss of equipment. You know, if you're an individual soldier, if you leave your your plate carrier, you leave your M4, you don't you don't come back with it. The statement of charges in Article 15 is the least of your worries, and yet somehow not a single not a single officer, whether it was in a plain suit or in uniform, ever had to explain or be or or, or was even grilled even a little bit about all this lost equipment and money and munitions and ammo and uh, to me that's just absurd from a, a, a standpoint of okay us down at the bottom we are expected to be accountable we are expected to be responsible and when we see the top level of our own government being wholly irresponsible and not accountable in any way shape or form uh, that is a that is a terrible thing for our military to be witnessing. I mean, at the ground floor level. Oh, oh, at Brad, the level. Brad, Brad, they know better. They're yeah. allowed to trade on non-public sure. material sure. information on stocks because it's okay. Yeah. They have a stressful job. Yeah. You know, they don't make they don't make a ton as Congress uh-huh. people. They need to be like multimillionaires. Come on, Brad. It's a it's a hard life for these guys. Yeah, my heart bleeds. It it bleeds. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, but, but again, nobody will do what I'm suggesting because sure. it takes, right. it takes cojones. Sure. Well, I right? also think it, it, you have to have a, a, a some cunning, right? I, I'm not convinced right. that our leadership has any cunning in this situation. Right. Uh, notice how I, no, notice how that just pushes it just to the edge. Right. 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 But yeah. not like, look, we're helping, we're helping refugees here. Yeah. Yeah. You have a problem with, of Which, course, you have a problem with helping refugees because you're shelling them. Putin. It's it's a it's a morally defensible operation, right? Like from a That's world right. standpoint, like from a standpoint of like Amnesty International, or you know, it would be an operation that would be grudgingly sanctioned by all the world bodies that are concerned with peace and stability. They would and have it also, to sanction. It also messes with his head. Yeah. And that's the important right. thing. Sure. The other thing I would do is I would send a flotilla. Just outside Kaliningrad, I would push some some Polish garrisons. You know that little nice little oblast, right? That little enclave that's off on its own, that's surrounded on multiple sides by NATO countries, just to make them think about it. And oh, by the way, the Kuril Islands. You know, there might be there might be some sub activity there. Sure, there right. might be some Japanese boats and ships that right. Right. approach. Right. Sure. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. Well, when the army's away, the cat will play. I mean, it, it's you've got you've you've I mean, this this is what Putin's counting on. And he's not wrong to count on this. Putin right. is counting on the world being gutless. Yeah. And nobody wants to do anything to him on his flanks. If you're going to pour your whole army into Ukraine and leave your flanks wide open, which he pretty much has, um, he has no ability to defend anywhere. At this point, again, if, if if you wanted to take over Russia, this is the time to do it. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But, but I think, I, I think his concerns that we would do something before he did any of this were unfounded. Right. But now I think he needs to worry. I think because uh, the other thing too is we're okay at fighting insurgencies. Contrary to what people think, most people think we're terrible at fighting insurgencies. We're actually pretty good at it it's just insurgencies are very hard to fight yeah yeah we yeah. are we yeah. are amazing fighting conventional wars we are unstoppable pretty much and i wouldn't i wouldn't say that um but i wouldn't say that before this 
uh, little incursion into into Ukraine. But having seen the Russians in action, I mean, like uh, you know, I, I, there's a video floating around today where there's you know twelve tanks and armored personnel carriers like BIMPs and BTRs, mm-hmm. and they're literally like on a two lane highway in both lanes, nose you know nose to nose yeah, to yeah. butt. Terrible like, convoy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Perf- I mean, like I was salivating. Sure. If I were an A-10 pilot, I would be salivating on right. this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. This is this anyway. is the kind of convoy ops that, that that even like the the most basic National Guard logistics unit is trained on basic convoy ops. And the Russians are doing everything wrong. Right. I agree with you. Yeah. There's there's basic stuff happening with them. That's like, wow, you guys don't know any better <laughs> you should but you don't or at least yeah, your leadership it's, it's, isn't yeah right sure i mean i would be concerned for the safety of the entire russian nation yeah right, right. they can't defend sure. themselves like it's no. obvious they can't defend themselves yeah it's all true. right so on this on this particular topic uh brad we've kind of gone way as over. i kind of <laughs> way over right do you have any 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 last words for the audience on this just again, I I feel really, really bad. And I mean this genuinely. I feel really, really bad for the families and the people, both Ukrainians and Russians, who are, are going to lose their livelihoods. They're going to lose their property. They're going to lose their lives. They're going to lose loved ones for this thing. I, I think this thing is so is ultimately going to prove so wasteful. Um, and we're not going to get a full accounting of that for maybe a decade or more, but I think it's going to be so needlessly wasteful. And I, I that just, you know, I, I know history never stops and this is another good example of it, but it, it, it is a damn shame. It's a real damn shame. Yeah. It's just, it's just bizarre. I mean, imagine you're Ukrainian, you're finally getting a taste of the good life. Yes. You have cell phones, you have jobs, you have software, you're a software engineer. You're a growing income. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I agree. And, and it's a beautiful country, you know, lots of growth. And yeah. I mean, it's almost like watching, it's almost, and that's the thing that the Russians don't have going for them is this is not like watching uh, like Sarajevo, right? Because it was still kind of had that Eastern European sure. flavor, like sure. rundown Soviet right. kind of second rate. Yeah. Like this is like almost like watching a town in the Midwest get mm-hmm. carpet bombed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know these people are well educated. They're and and again, you're going to have you know people claim like, how oh, come you didn't care so much about the Arabs and in the Middle right. East and this yeah. and that? And right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Is is there some sort of like racial preference that's going on? Probably, right. You know, I'm not just saying with me. I'm just saying like that's why there's more. There appears to be more sympathy and things like that. Well, if you ask Cenk Uyghur from the Young Turks, he thinks it's all racial. That was his analysis. Analysis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, big rabbit ears around analysis if you're woke. Okay. Sorry. That's my hobby yeah. course. I hate the woke analysis most of all. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I've been, uh, I've been doing my best to, to avoid all the, all, all, I'm just trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be Switzerland on this, but apparently Switzerland's no longer neutral anymore. So that's the other, that's the other strange thing about this right. whole thing. Sure. Regardless, thank you. This was great. Oh, thank and, you. I appreciate um, it. Good conversation. And, yeah, we'll see how this thing, and then you know, hopefully, maybe at some point in the future, we'll um, either get together or or have another one of these on this particular topic right. or some yeah. other geopolitical topic. Yeah. So it's a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate it.
Talk to you soon.